Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew um, chapter 4 and read about one of the, um, really one of the most epic encounters, not only in the scriptures, but in all of human history. As we continue to talk about um, learning how to love, asking Jesus to teach us um, how to love one another. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Um, Why don't you stand if you're willing and and you're able. So hear the word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. About 80 of us, just over a year ago, were in Jerusalem. We were at the Temple Mount. Do you remember the corner we went to, the Temple Mount, the highest one? And our guide told us this is the spot that this would have been. This was the highest point right here. Um, Very thing we're reading. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This then is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired word. Truly the grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. It stands forever. What a gift. What a gift to have the word of God. To stray from the word of God is folly indeed. Amen. You may be seated. So do you want to learn how to love? Would you really say you're, you're really pretty good at it? You want to learn how to love? I do. I want the, the last years of my life to be years in which I'm growing and uh, loving. I don't think I get very high marks there. Uh, I want God to do a work in me. I want to love better at the end than I have in the journey so far. 
Wouldn't that be great? I, I don't know what else I could, you know, learning how to play golf better would be a worthy thing to do in my future, but uh, I, re- I really can't think of anything more important than, um, than this. And to do that, we're gonna have to deal with something called the self, right? So, one of my goals this summer is to read this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. So I've started to read it. It's written by Carl Truman. It's kind of an academic book. That's why I'm showing it to you so you'll be impressed um, as I talk about denying the self and try to impress you with my summer reading. This is, um, if, you're, if, if you are impressed, and think, boy, he really digs into some hard things, this is a, a reading from the first page of the book. The origins of this book, Carl Truman says, lie in my curiosity about how and why a particular statement has come to be regarded as coherent and meaningful. Here's the statement. I am a woman trapped in a man's body. My grandfather died less than 30 years ago, and had he ever heard that sentence uttered in his presence, I have little doubt he would have burst out laughing and considered it a piece of incoherent gibberish. And yet today it is a sentence that many in our society regard as not only meaningful, but so significant that to deny it or question it is to reveal oneself as stupid, immoral, or transphobic. He goes on to explain, the triumph of self, that's the name of the book, the rise and triumph of the modern self. This triumph of self is a prioritization of the individual's inner psychology or feelings for our sense of who we are and what the purpose of our lives is. Transgenderism provides an excellent example. People who think they are a woman trapped in a man's body are really making their inner psychological convictions absolutely decisive for who they are. You with me so far? We're gonna have to deal with the rise and triumph of the modern self if we're gonna learn to love more. We're in graduation season, right? This is college graduations, high school graduations, commencement addresses, and commencement addresses come with heavy doses of um, self, the gospel of self-trust. Follow your truth, love yourself, listen to yourself, trust yourself, and my favorite, to thine own self, be true. This is where you must become your authentic um, self is what we're preached at and exhorted and told. In fact, graduation, one of the most popular graduation gifts for the last 30 years has been a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, the places you'll go, a book about a boy who's reminded just how amazing he is and how utterly autonomous he is. In fact, Uh, The book says, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know and you are the guy who will decide where you go. The main character in this success story is you. That little word appears in this very short book 90 times. You, 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 you. It's inside you. Love yourself. Now here's a question, what if this is completely wrong? What if this kind of counsel would actually not lead to human flourishing at all? What if if this is utterly misguided? Um, 
Lee Stein recently wrote an article in the New York Times. She's not a Christian. And she was commenting on, um, on internet influencers, uh, particularly women internet influencers who have attracted a vast uh, audience, some 100,000, 200,000 followers, and they're, they're peddling sort of uh, uh, advice to other women out there about how to um, flourish in their lives. And this is what Lee Stein wrote. She said, we're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. I've hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has crapped, cracked, cracked open inside of me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. But the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Questions like this. Why are we here? And what should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? That's it, isn't it? If the answers are in your puny selfhood, well then you really don't have answers at all. Jesus had an entirely different prescription. What did he say? If anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would be my student or my follower, he must what? Deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. When Jesus comes into your life, he changes you all the way to your bones. He teaches you how to say no to self and how to say yes to selfless service. Ready? Ready to go? Got a sermon outline? Let's talk about it together. What is this radical no? If we're going to love, we have to say a radical no to self. No to self. Our culture screams for us to do the very opposite. You must love yourself. Give heed to yourself. Care for yourself. You do you. Jesus says deny yourself. How do we say no to self? So Matthew records um, this pivotal moment, a clash with Satan in the wilderness. And just like that, we're back at the beginning of the Bible, aren't we? What we read in Matthew chapter four. How does the Bible start? The father of all mankind um, is, is in um, Eden, and the devil comes, and the devil tempts him. The devil tempts him to say no to God and yes to self. And the temptation even involves food, interestingly enough, doesn't it? Just like Jesus, as the devil comes to him. Our first father said yes to himself. He bought the lie. He made self prominent. And he plunged all of humanity into ruin. But our, the second Adam, Jesus, we see him squaring off with the evil one. And we know he's gonna win the um, confrontation. So the tempter comes after him. It's interesting, there's no love lost, there's no pleasantries exchanged. Nothing softens the duel, they don't shake hands and then go to their opposite corners, right? Satan attacks and Jesus rebuffs. Three times Satan is tempting Jesus, say yes. Say yes to me, say yes to yourself. So look at the first one in Matthew um, chapter four. We know that Jesus has been fasting, right? Jesus is preparing himself for the arduous journey from where he is to the cross, for public ministry, for the kind of opposition he's gonna face, the unrelenting hatred. He's fasting, he's in the wilderness, he's preparing himself, but it's left him physically depleted, physically weak, hungry. The evil one comes at a moment like that, in a moment of 
of, of, of maximum fatigue. Um, most pastors would say they're most vulnerable on a particular day of the week. What day of the week is that? It's Sunday. It's Sunday night. That's their period of most of vulnerability, the devil to come. They're tired. They're spent. It's the end of the week. Their guard is down. The devil comes to um, Jesus. Command these stones to become bread. You're God. You can do it. No problem for you. Take care of yourself. You're hungry. Um, tempts Jesus. And um, what does Jesus say? Read your Bible, Satan. Life is more than bread. Life is more than food. I get life from listening to my father. Jesus says no. No to self-gratification. No to his appetites. Life is not found in, uh, in, in filling yourself with what the world has to offer. You got it? Devil says, um, fill yourself. And what's Jesus um, say? There is a bread, right? There is a bread to eat that unless you have it, you, um, you'll never be satisfied. Do you know that you can have everything you would think, uh, everything in this world you think would fill you and still be hungry, right? Um, woman in... Um, uh, said that she took care of three prominent families in Los Angeles. She was like a personal aide or assistant to three famous families. Top of, uh, of uh, the, the, the pyramid, right? Had everything. And she said, I will have to tell you this, that in no way did any of those families have a more fulfilled or satisfied or happy life than anyone else. They had everything. Enough that they could even hire an assistant to do everything for them. But they had more drama, angst, jealousy, and fearfulness than, uh, than anyone else. Isn't it fascinating, the idea we have, now what will give us life? In fact, one, Mariah Carey was heard to say, um, at the peak of her career, uh, you know, at the time she had more number one hits than anyone in the history of music except Elvis and the Beatles, Asked what remained for her to achieve, what goals she had not reached, and she replied with a one-word answer, happiness. Everything, she achieved everything. Isn't it fascinating? What we set our hearts on, Jesus said, no, I want, I want the Father. I want the Father. So Jesus says no to self-gratification. Jesus says no in the second temptation. No to self no to self-prominence or promotion. Look at Matthew chapter four, uh, verse five. Here's the temptation. You kind of wonder, what is the temptation? The devil takes him to the high point of the temple and says, throw yourself down. Maybe you've never really been tempted to do that, right? Throw yourself off a high building. Um, but the point is, um, uh, listen, God's not gonna let you. You're the son of God. You're on mission here. God's, God's promised. Uh, he's with you. He'll take care of of you. In one moment of doing something spectacular, your claim to be God's son will be proved. Here's the temptation. Be prominent. Make a name for yourself. I mean, do you know what's ahead of you? Three years of hostility. Um, make a name for yourself. Right here, right now. Let's get it over with. And we know what the, the subtlety of the temptation is. Fulfill your mission. Don't fulfill your mission God's way. Don't listen to your father. You can skip the cross and suffering. It's a stupid idea. Make yourself famous. Say yes to self-promotion. 
not sacrificial death. Even his disciples joined that chorus, didn't they? At times, what are you doing, Jesus? Get down to Jerusalem, get down to the Passover. That's where the action is. You're wasting your miracles out in the wilderness. You're wasting your miracles up in Galilee. And how come when you heal people and do a lot of stuff, you tell them, don't tell anybody this? I mean, your sense of public relations is warped. You need help. Jesus says, no. No to self. Um, It'd be good to point out that almost nobody in our world survives celebrity and prominence, do they? We want to be somebody. We want recognition. We think that would be cool. People to know our name. You know, we don't think, okay, well, I don't want to be Michael Jordan and I don't want to be some epic um, star. But we, even in our own little circles, we want to be somebody. Even in Citrus County, there are people who want to be recognized. They want to be known. I was at an event recently where, where there was a, a local politician there and they recognized all the politicians and they, and they forgot one. And somebody told me later, oh, this is just delicious because they love to be recognized. This is gonna kill them. We're not gonna hear anything. Uh, we're, this is all we're gonna hear about for weeks, the snub that he experienced at this event. So even in Citrus County, being somebody can be so delicious, right? Um, you know, almost nobody survives it. Celebrity. How many of you watched the special on Ernest Hemingway, Ken Burns, um, three-part special recently on PBS? Wow. Just wow. What a gifted writer. One of the most gifted, certainly, our culture, our country has ever known. And yet here's a, a man who um, takes his own life. From Ernest Hemingway to Anthony Bourdain and, and Amy Winehouse and Heath Ledger and, and Kurt Cobain and, and just scores of people in between. We simply don't have the character to be on a pedestal and not be tarnished um, by it. Um, we've had a year of, uh, of tremendous pastoral crash and burns, uh, pastoral failures. Just in Orlando in recent weeks, a young man who's pastor of a church of thousands, thousands, um, was, uh, had to admit to his uh, adulterous affair and, and uh, lost his position. The previous pastor of that church, the founder, the church had 5,000 people. He also had an affair, and when he admitted it, he took his life. It's two pastors in a row, the only pastors the church of 5,000 has had. Um, And it broke my heart because I saw online this week that the pastor who just a couple weeks ago resigned now has a podcast um, to minister to people who were once in ministry but are now out of ministry. And uh, he has a platform, he has a voice, he has something he wants to share. He's had a whole three or four weeks to meditate on that. and you see um, the sadness of, uh, of the hunger um, for prominence. I wish I could just um, look at other people and, uh, and see that um, cancer in them. So this week I'm speaking at Reformed Theological Seminary commencement uh, in Orlando. 
Now, you might think that's really not that prominent an event. Um, but, um, you know, in my little world, uh, that feels like a nice honor. And as each day comes closer to speaking there, I notice that I wake up earlier and earlier every morning, my heart filled with anxiety. Uh, because I have to face the fact that all my life I've battled wanting to be noticed, wanting to, well, it's, you know, it came to me naturally. There were six kids in my family. I was number five. I had four other brothers. Uh, they were all in National Honor Society. I wasn't. They were MVPs of the football team. They were state champions in track. They were... Um, you know, I still remember my dad at church one time. Somebody asked what my name was, and he said, I don't know, there's so many of them, you know. <laughs> I, I, I forget. Um, you know, even when I walked out of my office a couple minutes ago, and Brandon's got like five preachers in the hallway with him, I said, oh, great, five preachers. There's five more people I have to impress. Um, this sickness that uh, lives inside, know to self, know to self. No to self. No to things that aren't going to fill us or satisfy us. It's a fool. Don't be a fool. And then the last temptation, you know, Jesus three times, Satan pressing, pressing, pressing. Take care of yourself. Look after yourself. And uh, Jesus says no to position and, uh, and power. The devil took him to a high mountain, showed him the kings of the world and their glory, and said, I'll give you all of this. Just give me your worship. Give me your allegiance. Be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God. Have no other gods, right? I'll make you king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus says no. No. He'd rather have his father than anything this world affords today. I've never played the lottery. I thought about it one time. I thought, you know, I'll, put, I'll give it to the building fund. I promise I will. And um, I thought, what could it hurt? It'd be kind of an adventure one time a year. I mean, if God wanted to do it to help, you know, uh, at least give him a chance. Um, but I remember that. I remember actually going to the grocery store and saying, I think I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. And then it struck me, but what if you won? It would ruin your children. It would ruin your life. It would ruin your soul. Why would you even play with fire? Why would you even play with that? It may only be $2 or whatever it costs, but it's, it's, it's a $2 investment in a lie is what it is. Um, you know, there was a famous um, scholar named Henry Nowen, and Henry Nowen um, Taught at Notre Dame. He taught at Yale. He was teaching at Harvard. Countless books. Um, to, he had better gigs than the Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando commencement. He spoke all over the world. And, um, and uh, Henry Nowen said, everyone was saying I was doing really well, but something inside me was telling me that my success was putting my soul in danger. I kept praying, Lord, show me where you want me to go, and I'll follow you. Please be clear and unambiguous about it. God was. He said, go and live among the poor in spirit and they will heal you. 
So I moved from Harvard to Larsh. Now Larsh, where he went, was, um, was an institution where, like the Key Center, only even more severely handicapped um, adults went to live out the rest of their life. Um, and he was, uh, for, for most of the rest of his life, he was assigned to care for one person who needed his care all day long, often in the middle of the night as well. He left academic glory and success and worldwide fame to care for one person, not a relative, not a friend. Um, he says he went from the best and the brightest wanting to rule the world to men and women who had few or no words and were considered at best marginal to the needs of our society. It was very hard and painful move. Love requires a radical no to self. I love the story of a little girl who was serving cookies at, at, a, at a, a bridal shower in her home. Her mother had pressed her into duty and and after she served everyone there, she carried a platter around. Um, her mother said, well, you served everyone, but you didn't, you didn't take one for yourself. And the little girl said, oh, oh, she said, I forgot me. That's the goal. That's the aim. That's what Jesus said. Forget you. Got it? So now the second point is saying the exact same thing only saying it positively. Love requires a radical no to self and love requires a radical yes to selfless service, to others, right? To being last, even to suffering. Nouwen said it was hard. It is hard. It's interesting, as Jesus moves closer to the cross in his ministry, as his life gets more serious and sober, as the specter of, uh, of, of, of God's wrath is about to fall upon him, bearing the sins of the world, his disciples seem to move in the opposite direction and they begin to argue more and more about which one of them will be prominent in the future. Uh, they begin to jockey for power. And again and again, Jesus has to correct them. So three times, just like the three temptations, three times, Jesus, first we see in Mark chapter nine, we know that they were just arguing as they were walking along the road. And when they got to Capernaum, Jesus said, what were you talking about? Well, nobody wanted to admit what they were talking about. They, uh, they were arguing about who was the greatest. So he sits them down and he says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last. He must become the servant. And he took a child, a little child, and he put them right in the midst and he said, unless you become like this child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Now, children were the lowest of the low. Today, we dote on children, we exalt children, we love children, we have pictures of our kids. That's not the way it was then. Kids were of no importance, they had no value, they had no clout. And Jesus said, the humblest one is the greatest. Got it? Correct him. A radical, notice self, a radical yes to going down, to going low, to humility, to service. The great ones are not prominent. You probably don't know their name. So then um, Jesus um, has a woman uh, come to them, the mother of James and John. You remember what she does? She makes a pitch for her sons, okay? When you come in your kingdom, I got two guys that'll really be perfect for prime positions in your cabinet, right? Um, we're talking attorney general here. We're, you know, we're talking secretary of state. We're talking like the big positions. 
And uh, we read about it uh, in Jesus' response. When the others heard it, they were indignant at the brothers. And Jesus called uh, them and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever is great will be the servant. Whoever's going to be first among you will be the slave, right? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is telling them their whole approach to life is wrong. Compassion, service, not power, and fame. And then finally in the upper room, what happens, right? In the upper room, we see that a dispute arises among them as to who's the greatest. And, um, and what does Jesus do? The bottom half of that scripture, he laid aside his outer garments and took a towel, right? And he washed their feet. That's what he modeled. He said, this is a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, you serve one another. The servant who washed the feet was the what? was the newbie. They were the lowest of the low of all the servants. Jesus models this. Jesus goes to the low place. Jesus knows the low place. Where was he first laid when he was born? In an animal shed, right? In a trough. Jesus becomes an immigrant. Jesus becomes a refugee, <coughs> excuse me, running away. Um, with his family to Egypt. Jesus um, talks to Samaritans. He touches um, lepers. He, um, he eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. He goes to the low place. You with me? A radical no. So when I went into, excuse me, <coughs> when I was um, 17, I, I went to work with a pastor in West Virginia in a real rural Appalachian community. And, um, and so I lived in his house and I saw something there that changed my understanding of what it looked like to be a Christian. People would come to his house. There was no social services in this kind of community. So when a calamity hit, they came to the pastor's door. They knocked on the door. Basically, how can, can, can you help us? And I remember a couple whose trailer had burned down and they were going around collecting what they needed. And the pastor's wife invited them in the house, took them into her son's bedroom, took his clothes out of his dresser and gave his dresser away. <clears throat> they didn't go to a, um, the, you know, a shed outside with the old stuff they didn't use anymore. They didn't go uh, to the garage for stuff that they were gonna you know, donate to Goodwill anyway kind of thing. <clears throat> no, she gave them her furniture. And I remember thinking, this is an entirely new way to do life. She just give away your stuff, you know. <clears throat> Last um, year. Last year, um, a family in our church, uh, Debbie Greer, a woman in our church, lost her husband. He died right at the end of May, but the last day of May. <clears throat> a week later, Jake Steele, college student in our church, died. And Debbie Greer's service for her husband was on the same time as, um, on the same day virtually, that Jake Steele died. And when she came to the service for her husband, Debbie Greer brought food that she had made for the Steele family. I thought, who does that? 
who comes to their spouse's funeral with food for another family who's grieving? And I remember thinking, this is an entirely new way to do life. I'm sorry. (coughs) Although you're not. We're going to have to wrap this up. (coughs) So, I just wanted you to think for just a minute, if I'm able to finish. I want you to think for just a minute. How does saying no to self and saying yes to selfless sacrifice How does that actually play out? Think about vocation. When you try to decide what vocation you'll go into, um, what drives the decision making? Now, don't just take my word for it. You know that we we can ask high school students, for instance, and this is what they say. What drives the decision of what career they want to pursue? What is it? Which will be the most financially lucrative? Which will be the most prominent, right? Doctor, lawyer, something like that, right? Which will, um, you know, which, which will come with um, the most self-fulfillment, right? Now, if you say no to self and, and you're saying yes to um, service, then, you know, you might say, uh, I'm driven by this, that I want to live my life for the glory of God. I want to help my community flourish. I want to be a part of his uh, mission, whatever that is. Um, and I want to take care of my, ma- of my family and my children in particular. In fact, I might do a job my whole life that, that does not fulfill me in the sense that I really love what I do. In fact, it might be hard to get up and go to work every single day. But you know what? I'll feed my family. I'll take care of them. I'll put a roof over their head. And I think that honors God. And that's my first priority. Do you know how many young people in this country don't work? because they can't find a job that fills them. They're, they're, they, they, they feel like they've gotta be in Africa digging wells for people who have no water um, because they're demanding of, uh, of their vocation something that they can only have in relation to God. You with me? What about retirement? Retirement, what would be the conventional thinking? Conventional would be say yes to self-indulgence. You paid the price. You suffered. You worked hard. You put the money away. You know, we talked about the fact that there's no advertisement for um, a retirement community that says, come uh, to Florida. We've got a lot of homeless people here. Maybe you can help. We've got a lot of uh, food, a lot of hungry people. Maybe you can help feed them. Come to Florida and and, uh, live on way less than you can live. No, that's not what the ads say, are they? The ads have... um, um, beautiful man, beautiful woman on a veranda overlooking a golf course and says, come and have the life you've paid for, you work for, and you deserve. Indulge yourself. I've even had to think about retirement. Someday they're going to put the old horse out to pasture. And, um, and I think so. Because I'm a pastor, you think, well, every day I get up and say, how do I go serve Jesus today? And I've said, why would that change when I retire? Why wouldn't I still get up every day and say, Lord, reporting for duty, how do you want to use me um, today? And why would that be different for any of you who, are, who don't have the title minister? That every day you get up and say, God, reporting for duty, um, how do you want to use me in my life um, today? What about, yeah, I just want you to see how 
How when your life collides with Jesus, it changes the way you think about everything. And it actually directs you to a life that is fulfilling. Jesus said, if you want to have life, then you don't try to have life. If you want to have life, you give your life up for my sake, and then you have a life that's satisfying. But if you try to go for the satisfying life, then you end up without satisfaction at all. Deny yourself. So how does that apply? How does it apply? So you, you work hard all your life, and then you go to retire, and, be, and suddenly your parents are in their 80s and, and even early 90s, and now you have to care for them. I have a sister. She cares for my mother in Kentucky. Uh, she and her husband retired a couple years ago. She said, we would be in Florida, but we're not in Florida because we care for mom, and we'll stay here caring for mom as long as mom's alive, Right? So is that, is, 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 that, is that horrible? Is that uh, such an imposition? Is that something to be bitter about? Or is it to say, uh, I've said a radical no to self. My purpose in life is not to glorify me. Um, and if I, it will be hard to care for aging parents. It can be exhausting and difficult and expensive and trying. And yet if God gives me that privilege, I'll wade into that low place with joy. See the difference? It's a whole different orientation to life. What about, what about who you'll marry? Just a counseled a couple yesterday in premarital counseling. What about that decision? What do you think the goal is? If you ask people, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a spouse that will enhance my life, right? I'm looking for a spouse who um, will make my life more joyful. I'm looking for a spouse who, will, who is beautiful and attractive, promises um, uh, sexual pleasure, you know, I'm looking for, um, what about someone, just think someone who says no to self might say, I'm looking for someone that I can partner with to um, be on mission with, to um, love our neighbors, uh, to um, make all things new, um, to raise children together, to sacrifice ourselves for the good of the next generation, even for our grandchildren and great grandchildren beyond. I'm looking for somebody that I can die for so that they'll flourish. I don't hear many people say that. I'm looking for someone that I would lay down my life for, for them, so that 15 years into marriage, they have a car accident, they're paralyzed, and they're in a wheelchair for the rest of their life, then that is, I don't sit around and say, all my dreams, all everything I wanted, now it's dashed. No, this is exactly what I signed up for. How do I make their life flourish? How do I give my life to serve them? I just want you to see that when you collide with Jesus, it changes everything. Jesus is follow me, right? Now I have to ask, has anybody loved you like that? Did anybody ever look at you and say, as ugly as you might be, as difficult as you might be, as hard as the challenge might be, I am all in. Anybody ever love you like that? In Gethsemane? Father, is there another way? Father, not my will. No to me. Yes to you. Jesus said no to himself in Gethsemane, and he said yes for you. On the cross, he's being tormented, and he's being, um, you know, they're, they're, um, they're mocking him. 
Oh, son of uh, God, where is God? You could save others, you can't save yourself. Come down from there. Well, maybe God would help you if he wants you. But Jesus says no. No to his reputation, no to his power, no to his prominence, no to his place, no to his comfort. Because he's married to you. Because he loves you. Because he'll do anything to have you. That's life-changing indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we experience your love in such a way that it transforms us. And that being loved by you, we might experience the favor of the Father in such a way that it says, it fills me. And Lord, while we might enjoy buying a boat or having a having the joy of playing golf or eating a, a big meal at a nice restaurant, we'll be rescued from thinking that that's what gives us life, that that's the good life. And we'll know that the good life is pouring out our energy to give you glory, loving our neighbors, caring for the least, going low. So Jesus, may your love be so sweet and satisfying that we say no to self and yes to you. We pray in your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.